You guys can be seated. Good morning. So for those of you here on spring break weekend, the end of it, welcome. For those of you listening to this podcast on the way back from Moab, we're glad you joined us. I love the orchard. I love this place. Uh, not this place. We are a people. I love this people. I love these people. Thank you, God, for what you've given us. And God, we ask that you would reveal to us your heart today. May we have an encounter with Jesus. May we leave this place being different than when we came in, right? Man, I think this, the worst thing we could do is to go to church and leave the same, right? Amen? Amen. Come on, let's spring break. We can get a little rowdy this week, right? It's spring break. Okay. <laughs> that song said it perfectly, and this is, this is like the thesis of the whole thing today. Um, oh, to be like you, give all I have just to know you. So as we go through this account today of the rich young ruler, that's the question. To, would we want to be like him? Do we want to give all that we have just to know him? The rich young ruler, you may have heard this before, and one of the things I love about Luke, and I'm having so much fun, Charlie, we're having a blast as, as we're going through the Luke project, this two and a half years of going through the book of Luke is hitting the good, bad, and the ugly, and all the hard, and all the stuff, everything. Um, but one thing God continually does each week is he shows fresh things. And I grew up in a, in a preacher's house, and I heard these stories from a kid, and my dad doesn't even know some of these things. <laughs> right, Dad? <laughs> Today, the rich young ruler, it's in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and Jesus is teaching his way toward Jerusalem, where he's going to be crucified. He's going to give his life. And he's, he's just come out of a section. We've just, remember the prodigal son? That was last, what, last month or so. Then the rich young man and Lazarus, Lazarus, the shrewd manager. The ten lepers were healed. And then last week, Charlie talked about prayer. So Jesus is coming out of this time of teaching. And Mark tells us that he was setting out on his journey as we pick up here in Luke and this man is, that's going to come to him is called the rich young ruler. And so we know three things about him, don't we, already? He's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. The three things are like every, I, I want my youth, I want some money, and I want some power. This guy has like the big three, okay? He's the rich young ruler. You know, we don't know late 20s, early 30s. We don't know how, how young. We don't know how rich, but we know that he was enough to be considered all three of those things. Jesus is on his journey, and Mark tells us a little bit more. He says that a man ran up to Jesus and knelt. Mark tells us that about this account. All three Gospels tell us that he had the same question. So as we turn, we're not going to have it on screens today. As we turn, if you want, to page 732 in your Worship Center Bible, or you can um, open your phone and scroll with me. We are in Luke 18, verse 18. This man ran up and knelt before Jesus, and all three Gospels have him saying, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this man comes in a certain way that we also know some things about him beyond just his wealth and his riches and his power. We know what he was not, because of the way he came to Jesus, this was a respectful way he came. This is not a Pharisee. This is not a, a rich ruler, religious ruler. It's not a Pharisee. The Pharisees would not be caught dead bowing before Jesus in public. They, they, they probably, they're wanting to trap him at this point. They are so far against him, they consider him a sorcerer, someone who's working through evil means. We also know that he's not a Sadducee, which is another ruling class of religious elite, because the Sadducees didn't believe in the eternal life. So by his very question, what do I do to inherit it? We know he's not one of these ruling classes of religious elite. He's probably a magistrate or a justice, something like that. I mean, polit politics, we don't know. 
But he came, he was running, and he knelt, and he had this question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it seems like a good question, doesn't it? Rabbi, how do I get to heaven? Jesus is about to take this man on a journey. He, he doesn't, Jesus does what Jesus does. He doesn't just say, he doesn't oftentimes just give you the five easy steps to perfect abs. He doesn't give you the seven ways to conquer your, 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 your money life. He doesn't give you those easy, easy steps, does he oftentimes? In the classic Jewish tradition of Midrash, he takes them on a journey to discover themselves. And he doesn't even answer the question at first. In fact, the first thing Jesus talks to him about, he says, he gets caught up on the, on the title, the man calls him. He said, good teacher. And Jesus says, good teacher? Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. Now, why does he stick at this point? Why does he stop and say, no one's good but God alone? Well, Jesus knows the man heart knows the man's heart. He has prophetic insight. And this is nothing new. We've seen this. Jesus said often, and Luke had said in the past as we've studied, that he knew their hearts and thoughts. And as Jesus went on the earth and operated in the power of the Holy Spirit, he had words of knowledge. He had insight. God would tell him about the people that were before him. And so when the man comes up and asks a simple question, good teacher, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus knows the man's heart. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God. What he knows about this man is the man is coming to him only as a good teacher. He called him good. He did not call him God. Jesus is making, making it very clear. There's more to me than you know. There's only one that's good. And the ironic part is the man got it right and didn't know it. He is good because he is God. The man doesn't know it. He goes on. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. In fact, in Matthew 19, 18, it says, you know the commandments. And the man then replies, well, which ones? Like, which commandments? You can already see in this man, he has this schematic, this, this checklist he's looking. Listen, it gives us an insight into his heart when he asks, which command? Which ones? Jesus, what must I, what must I what? What must I what? Do. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Follow the commands. Well, which one? Jesus, if there's a, just a checklist um, you could give me, I would, I would leave here very happy. And I can work on that. Okay, okay. I, I can work on that, Jesus, but give me something. Which ones? Because that's what he's looking for. And then Jesus plays along. He's drawing the man out. And so he kind of gives him what he's asking for. This is interesting. What must I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Jesus, in a curious answer, the man asks, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives him the bottom five of the Ten Commandments. Just the last five. I, I think, you know, Jesus, is play, he plays chess while we play checkers. He's, he's, he's drawing this man's heart in. He's, 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 he's drawing him in, and he only gives him five of the Ten Commandments, and he gives him the horizontal ones. The first five are, are, are vertical, between me and God. The bottom five are horizontal, between me and people. And so how do, you, how do I, what do I do to get eternal life? Well, you do these things to these people. Here's what you do. It's interesting. It's so interesting how the man asks, how do I inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus simply states, you get that by how you treat people. You'd think the answer would be the first commandments, don't you? Don't you think he would say, well, you should have no other gods before me. That's a good start. No, no. 
don't, don't murder anybody. Oh, <laughs> don't commit adultery. Hey, I like this. I like this one. This is a good list. I'm, I'm on, I'm, we're doing good so far. I mean, he gives him the five horizontal ones. What about the first ones? What about the Shema? And if you're new with this, we've been studying the Shema, which is the Jewish word for the, it's a prayer they prayed every day, twice a day. Jesus prayed it every day. It's a, it's a prayer that goes from the beginning, from Deuteronomy and Leviticus, all the way through until the church today. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. That's the Shema, and they, they've been praying that for centuries, and it is our vision here at this church. We've, we've, we've um, condensed it to love God and love people. That's why we are here. That's who we are. And so it'd be like if Jesus were here today, and, and he was teaching, and someone said, hey, Jesus, what must I do to get eternal life? And he would say, easy, love people. Well, what about the, what about the love God thing? Just love people. Don't murder them. Don't commit adultery. Honor your mom and dad. Do those things. Jesus asked the man about outward evidence of his internal reality. He asked the man a question. He, he gave the man a, an answer knowing there's no way the man could justify himself with it. Let's say you did those thing, five things flawlessly. Is that enough to inherit eternal life? No. And it, it also, it's interesting, this sets the bar of heaven pretty low. If all you have to do is not murder, well, unfortunately for this man, Jesus went on to teach a little bit um, about how if you've, if you've thought lustfully about a person, you've committed adultery. <laughs> if you've been angry towards someone in your mind, you've committed murder. So, so Jesus is already flipping it on the man, and he tells the man these things, and, and, and there's a reason he's leading him down this path, you see, because culturally there's more going on than we read this with. We see, we, we see this man come, we see Jesus' answer, and it's curious to us, but culturally there's some things happening right here. He's rich, he's young, and he's powerful. And in that culture, there was a belief that if you were rich, if you were powerful, if you were free of disease and disfigurement, all those things, it was evidence of God's blessing upon you. You could be born into it, but it still said something about God in you. Now, we, we can't get too mad at this culture because we have this in this day. There are whole denominations and preachers and places that say that, listen, if you're good with God, he's going to be good with you. And he's going to make you wealthy. And you're not going to suffer. And they'll show you their planes and they'll show you their things to, to back it up. It doesn't back up in Jesus' life. But there was a belief back then, as there is some places today, that if you are wealthy, whew, you got God's favor on you. If you're powerful, man, God loves that person. What does it say if you're not wealthy? <laughs> well, obviously, there's some things that you need to do. What does it say if you're not powerful? And, and let's take this another step, because we all have this little, bit of, this little bit of something in us. When things go a certain way, when they go wrong enough, have you heard somebody say, or maybe you've whispered it or even thought it? I know I have. God, how could you let this happen? I thought we were good. That's the rest of that sentence. How could you let this happen? I, I it's interesting to see that culturally this man had everything and everyone assumed he had the blessing of God on his life in spades. He was young. He was blessed at a young age. He has a lot going for him. Wow. 
Culturally, this, this man is, is set apart from a lot of the people around him. I believe that something in Jesus' last teaching motivated this conversation as I read this text. I believe something from Charlie's sermon last week motivated this conversation we're about to have, where he's having with Jesus. See, Jesus, or Jesus, Charlie. <laughs> it's just... I accepted Charlie into my heart three years ago. And <laughs> As Charlie spoke last week, he told us about a Pharisee, rich and powerful. This is Jesus teaching about a Pharisee who goes to pray at the temple. And listen to this Pharisee's prayer. It's just ahead, behind us in this chapter, verse 11. The Pharisee prays to God, thank you I am not like other people. I mean, what a prayer. Thank you I'm not like these. You're okay. Thank you I'm not like other people. And then he goes this, the robbers, the adulterers, and evildoers. Now hold on. Those are three familiar things. The robbers do not steal. Adulterers do not commit adultery. Evildoers, these are horizontal things. The Pharisees praying the very things that Jesus just told this guy don't do. Go, go follow these commandments. The Pharisee, literally it's lining up. So, so, so this rich young ruler heard this teaching. The Pharisee was just, told, he was just praying and he doesn't do any of those things. He's, and Pharisees, listen, they're powerful. They're rich. They're, they're spiritual. If anybody is gonna be heard by God, if anyone's going to the kingdom of heaven, it's a Pharisee. And then Jesus continues the parable and said, but there was a tax collector and everyone groans. Oh, the worst of the worst. And he prayed to God with all of his heart, God have mercy on me a sinner. And Jesus said that the lowly sinful tax collector was justified by God. His prayer was heard and received while the holy man's was not. And I can just imagine that rich young ruler sitting there listening to this and he goes, what? Excuse me? Because who does he associate himself with? Who does he hang out with on the weekends? It's not the tax collector. He has more in common with the Pharisee than the tax collector. He just hears this teaching about, whoa, 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 whoa. The Pharisee's prayer was not heard, but the tax, good teacher. <laughs> what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because I'm a little bit worried right now. <sighs> do you see where this might have been motivated? Why he ran and knelt before him? His paradigm's been flipped. This would have alarmed him so much. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's what he asks and Jesus knows his heart. The man started the whole conversation wrong. The kneeling's right, but, but the, the words were wrong and the heart behind it was wrong. What must I do? I've been doing a lot of good, Jesus. I've been doing a lot of good. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies to this man, he plays along. He goes with the doing. Oh, what should you do? Well, just do the bottom five commandments, knowing he hasn't even done that. Not in his heart. See, I believe this man came to Jesus because he knew something was lacking and missing. He, during that teaching, he, something was exposed within in him. He believes he's doing the right things, yet even as he is doing, he can feel the lacking. You with me on that sometimes? I'm doing it all. Something's lacking. He's ex we've all had this moment. This Christianity thing isn't working out like I thought it would. I'm doing it, but it still feels lacking in some places. Something is missing. 
There's something subtle that happens in this conversation with the rich young ruler that is true of all humanity. Something within us, and I want you to just go with me on this, that if we're not careful, if we approach Jesus incorrectly, we'll come with the wrong question from the wrong heart. You see, the rich young ruler came to Jesus, whether he knew it or not, to get something, to get something. And this was a man who was used to getting whatever he wanted. He knew that if he invested here or if he would do this there, he knew the returns and he knew he would get a return. And now he wants Jesus to help him in his getting. He wants to go do something for inheritance. It's subtle, but we can't miss it. What must I do to inherit, to get? At the core of this man's question, at the core of it, of this desire is something religious. Not godly, but religious. I've been doing all these things. What else must I do to get eternal life? What must I do to get? This is actually all religions at their core. This is the rich rung ruler. This is the Pharisee. This is the religious side of Christianity. See, in religion, we go to quote-unquote God, whatever that religion may say it is, to do, to get. Religion at its core revolves around the person. Now, it might be guised in words that are altruistic and mystical and just mind-blowing, but at the end of the day, religion is humanity's attempt to get to God or get God or get out of God or be God, whatever they define it as. It's humanity's attempt. So whether that attempt is for eternal life or becoming one with the life source or, or reincarnated as something good or, or nirvana or pearl jam or good karma or bad karma or becoming one with the ether or whatever it may be, whatever it is for that religion, it's about me doing to get. And this young ruler comes to him saying, what can I do to get? I've been doing a lot of things. I've been doing a lot of good, but something I'm not doing, I can feel it. When he comes to Jesus seeking not what he needs, but what he wants, he partnered with religion. Now, I, I, know, I know many of us will say, we have a good, good father who loves to give us good, good gifts. He loves to give us these good things. But a good, good father just doesn't give gifts, doesn't just give us all the desires. I am working to be a good father, and I say no a lot more than my kids wish I did. You know, my son Eli, he just completed his sport ball collection. For two and a half, three years, he's been loving sports. And for his birthday, all he wanted was a cricket ball. Anybody have cricket ball laying around? <laughs> the, the course you do. Two people in this room, my son and, and Mick Daly. We, got, we bought him two cricket balls. We bought him another one so we could cut it open, which is his other favorite thing, to see what's inside. And so then with his own money, he went and bought a volleyball. So now he, kinda, he, has, he has cricket and volleyball. He has them all. And something new has come on the radar that he's wanting lately. Eli now wants a katana. Now for those of you who don't know what a katana is, it's a Japanese samurai sword. <laughs> <laughs> Through his study of geology 
and talking to myself and his mom, he's come to believe there's nothing sharper on the planet than a diamond-bladed katana. And he comes to me with a thankful heart, with good, a good desire, with thankfulness, with affection, and says, Papa, can I have a diamond-bladed katana? Now, I'm a good, good father. You would think I would give him a good, good gift. But because I'm a good, good father, I say no. And I, he does not like that. He throws a fit. He leaves very disappointed. I did give him a plastic sword that he's now called a diamond-bladed katana, and he slays dragons and bears all day around our house. So yes, a good, good father does give us desires, but a bad, bad father would give us every desire. In fact, in James 1, it tells us that we don't get what we want because we ask God with impure motives, which is religion. What must I do to get? This is opening statement, opening question. Religion wants to know what we can get from God or get to God or become God, and so what must I do? The reality is, well, listen, the reality is this. When you come into contact with the real message of Jesus Christ, you find out he's not the means to anything. Hear me on this. Get your pen ready. Jesus is not the means to more. Jesus is the more. See, Jesus is not a treasure map. Jesus is the treasure. And the rich young ruler came to Jesus hoping that he could find a map to help him find eternal inheritance and treasure. He thought Jesus was a means. The man asked a religious question and Jesus answered him accordingly with a religious answer. He plays into it and plays into the man's weakness. See, the man believed he could behave his way into eternal inheritance. And as humans, we all get this, whether we say it or not. We want star charts. When we mess up, we kind of like a little penance. Or we assume, oh, well, if I'm going to go back to God, i got to probably grovel a little bit. We're all prodigal sons when we come home and have a speech ready for God. Star charts and attendance sheets and how many growth groups and how many, you know, I'm coming, I'm coming twice a month to the summer. Whatever it may be, we long to have these, how we do in God, based on what? We do. This man believed it, and Jesus exposed it. What about these commands? He's speaking the man's language. Let's go back to it. Jesus, what must I do to inherit, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't give false testimony, and honor your father and mother. And the guy replies, he has the nerve. He, this is how he doesn't get it. He goes, all these things I have done since I was a boy. He missed Jesus' teaching about murder and adultery in your heart. He, say, he thinks he's good, which you want to talk about the first step to salvation is realizing you're not. All these things I've done since a boy, am I in? Or behind it is he saying, I know, I know that, Jesus, I've been doing that. Is there a plea here? Jesus, it, it doesn't feel like enough. I've been doing all these things. I've I'm not feeling the spiritual feels I think I should have. Is there anything more you could tell me to do? Is there another commandment I could do? <laughs> is, there, is there another box I could check? 
I'm doing all these things, Jesus, but it's not quite working. And he's right about that. It's not working. It didn't work for him and it doesn't work for us. Our relationships, our marriages are not built on checklists. It's built on intimacy and being with somebody. When we try to go to God with the checklist, that's not intimacy. You know, we spoke in the prodigal son. You remember the father and the prodigal son. And when his son came back, his younger son came back and he, he hugged him and kissed him. The older son would not come in from the barn and the, old, the father went out there to the older son and the older son said, I have obeyed you. I have done all that I should do. And the father in the story, which is God, makes it clear. And we talked about this, that with is more precious than do. Now, holiness and obedience, they are, imp- they are vastly important in the kingdom of God. I'm not downplaying those, but I'm saying in the hierarchy, with is more precious than do. And the, man, the young rich young ruler says, I have been doing. And when we see Jesus' response, he's gonna talk about with being more precious than do. And a lot of us, if our schematic of interacting with God is, I've been doing and doing and doing, and I stopped doing this and I stopped doing that, are you happy now? My son, Come be with me, my daughter, with, follow me. Spend time with intimacy, relationship. What is Jesus, how does he respond to the man? How does he respond to this guy? This is, uh, this is amazing. He asks, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He tells him, follow the five commands. I've been doing this since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, and this is huge. He, Jesus says this, one thing you still lack. Now hold on. <laughs> when Jesus says one thing, one thing, you might really want to pay attention to that. He's like, 17 things. Okay, 17. No, no, he goes, one, one thing. See, when we buy a spiritual book, it might be full of the five easy steps to spiritual happiness or, or how to get rid of temptation in 10 steps or, or even just some threes in there or even maybe two steps. Maybe if you go to the heart of God, he says, my son, one thing you lacked. My daughter, one thing you lacked. One gate of obedience to follow me, I'm waiting for you. One thing, and I can see the rich and ruler's like, yeah, what command is it gonna be? Is it the Sabbath? Because I really like the Sabbath. I can do that one. Mm. I wonder which commandment he's going to give me. One thing you lack, he says. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. You ever had a moment? (laughs) Those of you who've been married for a long time, do you ever remember when you were single and you asked somebody out, you want to go out with me? and they just crushed every dream you had? You ever had a moment where you thought you were getting a promotion, you walked in and you go, yeah, the boss wants to see me. What is it? You're fired. Oh, I mean, like, it, it just, it was nothing that you want. One thing you lack, rich running ruler, one thing you lack, yeah, what is it? Hey, it's easy. Just go sell everything you possess. I will get right on that. <laughs> I, I will definitely consider that possibility. <laughs> I will go talk to my small group and roll around the wisdom of it and see if they agree with you, Lord. I will, I, I can't give as much away to charity if I give it all away right now. I, 
I should only give 10% of it away, maybe. That's what he meant. He said, one thing you lack. This is the harshest thing I've heard Jesus say to somebody in, in quite a while. He says, to inherit eternal life, <laughs> you must give away all that you possess and come follow me. Now, all that he possesses, his business, his positions of power, all that his father may have worked for and slaved for to, to give him the inheritance to be where he is, um, all, all, all the, uh, the people he hang, he's not gonna hang out with the same crowds if he gives away all his money. I mean, his life will look nothing like it does. Give away, how much of it? 10%, 50? I mean, Zacchaeus, what, how much does Zacchaeus give away? Half? This guy has to give away all that he possesses. Why did he answer this way? Why would Jesus say this? Because does he say this to anyone else in the Bible? Is this like a standard answer for heaven? Is this how we say, come down front and receive Jesus to give away all your stuff? <laughs> he answers, this is, this is one thing he says to one man because he knows his heart. There's more going on here. You see, the rich young ruler viewed his entire life in terms of commodity. Everything was a commodity to this man. Everything, he doesn't, he had a venture or he had a position and he knows that as I trade here and buy and sell there, as, as I invest over here, I know what it gets me. Everything is a commodity. And he's proven that eternal life to him was a commodity as well. What must I do to get? What must I do to inherit? Commodity. He's looking for an exchange of some sort. My behavior for your eternal treasure and so Jesus answers him in this way. Jesus would say, you view everything as a commodity and you have, earned, you have learned to trade very well. You've earned power and you have gained influence. You have, you're a power broker and a money broker and you come to me asking to get the greatest commodity there is. You see, this rich young ruler had a life that he treasured. But there was one treasure that all of his influence and all of his money could not purchase. And that's what he went to Jesus for. Jesus gave him a lesson on treasure. You trade in all your fleeting, you trade in all your fleeting temporary treasure and then you come and I will give you true treasure. And you come follow me and you will find the treasure of this life. The rich young ruler asked, what he had to do to inherit? What action must I perform? And literally one sentence before this, probably while, while he's pushing his way through the crowd, he must have been distracted. I can't, he must have missed it because one sentence before he asked the question in verse 18, Jesus says in 17, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God. The word is receive, not do. This man wanted a transaction. Do you see, he wanted a transaction of his behavior for an inheritance. Jesus said just before it, as he's pushing his way through, that you have to, to receive. It's not a transaction, it's a gift. Sell all you possess. What a difficult and disturbing, this is disturbing to me. If Jesus tells one person, what would he, what's he gonna tell me? What do I need to give up? How did the man respond? Verse 23, when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was very rich. Now, R.C. Sproul, one of the greatest orators and, and preachers there's been, just a power with words, 
He says that anytime you use the word very, it's because you're being lazy with your vocabulary. Never say you're very angry when you could say that you're enraged or apoplectic. But here we have a very. He goes away very sad. But it's here for a reason because it plays off the next phrase, which is he was very rich. He went away very sad because he was very rich. Rich to the point where his riches had become his idol. It wasn't wrong that he was rich. It was wrong that the riches were his idol. Which is the point here. The rich young ruler said that he was good with the bottom five commandments, but how was he with the top five that we didn't go into? And one in particular, you should have no other gods before me. Oh, and that is the problem. That is the issue. He had an idol. He had something that he had placed in front of God and he left saddened because he knew he could not, or let's be honest, he would not trade it in. He might be good on the bottom five, but he had something above God. He had an idol. He left very sad because he was very rich. You see, uh, the size of our disappointment is in proportion to the size of our idol. If God told my wife and I that he, we had to give up ice cream and follow him, one of us would go away very sad. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not about ice cream or money. Neither of those are innately good or evil despite your feelings on them. It's how much we love those things that makes all the difference. The size of the man's disappointment had more to do with how much he loved his idol than how much he loved his God. He went away disappointed because of the size of his idol, not the size of his faith or the size of his God. He, let, he went away. That's the subtle danger of idols that we can love God a whole lot, but we can love an idol just enough to not let it go. How you doing? The rich young ruler thought he was okay because he was doing good, quote, in loving people category, but he probably even compared himself to others like the praying Pharisee. And we all struggle with this. We all often measure how we're loving people. We often measure that based on how we're seeing others doing. We're comparative. But first and foremost, it should be that first prayer of the Shema, love God, which is love God with all your heart, all your affections soul, mind, and strength. Your strength is your influence and your resources. Was he loving God with all of his resources and influence? No, obviously not. Obviously not. Now, what idols do, what idols do we have? Maybe it's not wealth for you. Maybe, it, maybe it's not money. Maybe it's something else entirely. But what is it you love enough? Maybe just enough. What is it you love just enough that it keeps you from following him the way you should? Because Jesus said, go give it away and then come follow me. You can't come follow me with what's going on in your heart right now, sir. What is it you love just enough that it hinders you from following him? What idol do you have? See, those, the rich young ruler and Pharisee would come before God and feel justified, but in reality, their hearts were far from him. When Jesus challenged him, he left sad. See, he, he, Jesus said, give up, the, give up that which you treasure more than me and I will give you a treasure 
that you cannot get on your own. And he wouldn't make the trade. See, you see, he, he couldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He ran to Jesus and knelt before him with a joyful anticipation and he walked away dejected. This man kept his money, but he lost the kingdom. This man might have known a lot about trades and business, but he just made the stupidest transaction in his life. He kept and held on to the things that he could not keep for the one thing he could never buy. Oh, may that not be true of us. And may God reveal to us the things that he wants us to lay down. There's something about the authentic, rugged gospel, the message of Jesus that is disruptive and disturbing. And we have come to believe in a Jesus that is polite and nice. When if we look at his words and when we look where he's brought us, we see that he is, he is disruptive to the life of those that are far from him and even especially to those disciples that are close to him. His words are constantly challenging and disrupting. And I just want to ask a question. When was the last time you were disrupted by the words of Jesus? Because the way of living in his call isn't like a lazy river at a water park. It is a challenge. It's a narrow path. My friend um, Eric Flickinger was baptized last week. Remember, if you guys were here, he talked about the fear that kept him from getting into baptism. He's, he's an introvert. He's giving me permission to talk on this. His introvert, introversion fear, he's like, I don't want to get up there. I don't want to say anything. I don't want people are going to think of me. Uh, just all eyes are on me. And he, he got before God and God said, my son, I want you to do this. He felt God call him to it. Now, he could have done what many of us try, choose to do and, and move on and ignore it. But often what happens when, we move, when God asks us to do something and we move beyond it, when we come back to him next time, and they, okay, now what, God? He's like, oh. hey, one thing. Like the rich young ruler, let's say he came to Jesus and he got this answer and he walked away sad. And he like waited a week and went back. Okay, it's next Sunday. Okay, Jesus, I'm here. I sang a song. I took communion. What do you want me to do? I want you to do the same thing I asked you to do last time. Oh, okay. He can go to church for two years. He can go to church for 20 years. He could sit in church his whole life and never do the one thing and never move spiritually beyond that and never mature beyond that because he refuses. And then when you get older in it, then it becomes a thing of pride. I, go, well, I can't do it now. Now what are they going to think about me? <laughs> one thing. Well, maybe if I go back in a year, he won't remember. <laughs> one thing. Eric Flickinger, as he obeyed God and did the one thing and dropped his fear, we've been texting back and forth and talking this week, and, and, and uh, I left my phone. He said, um, in the text, he said, my whole life has been marked with insecurity and fear. He said, this week has been different than anything I've ever experienced in my life. My mom doesn't know Jesus. When I talked to her about it, she was shocked. She's been hoping my whole life I would be free of fear and the anxiety within me. And when I told her about it, she, didn't, she was speechless. She didn't know what to say. I'm speechless. I don't understand. Nothing's the same. Is, is it baptism? There was one thing. Guess what? There's one more thing. <laughs> There's always one thing. But here's, he is being amazed by the beauty of God as he obeys and steps in and follows with God. 
What one thing is God asking you maybe to lay down, to follow him, maybe to, to step into, to obey, to go with him? It's hard to follow him when we're carrying things that he doesn't want us to carry. What must you lay down to be with? When was the last time that your heart felt that quickening of anxiety? You ever had that when God's asking you to go do something? And you don't really want to do it. One thing Mark adds in here that Luke didn't. Remember, Mark was on the scene. Luke wrote it from um, interviews later. Mark was there. And Mark must have had a seat where he could see Jesus' face. He, saw, he tells us something that the, the, the others don't. In Mark 10, 21, he says that um, the man said, what do I do to inherit eternal life? It says, Jesus looked at him and felt love for him and then said, one thing you lack, go and sell everything. I, I, could, I bet Mark, as he sat there and he watched Jesus turn toward him and Jesus' eyes hit, hit him, he saw Jesus' face soften as the Spirit gave him insight into the man's heart and Jesus loved him deeply. It's as if Jesus said, son, this is gonna hurt, but you need to grow past this. He still does this to this day. He looks at you with love and says, son, this is gonna hurt, but I need you to lay that down and come with me. Daughter, you're precious to me. This is gonna hurt. I need you to lay that down so you can follow me. What's he asking of you today? And the last thing is this. As I look in this story, and this was, uh, there's, there's two rich young rulers. Did you catch it? There's, there's two rich young rulers in this story. And there's the rich young ruler who, who was born into wealth probably and raised up and now he's, he's in positions of power and he has money and he has, he has people that will do and say as he says and they will go and, and he, has, he has this position. But then there's Jesus who 33 years before this left a position of power unlike any other who had a throne, who had people and beings to go and do his bidding, who had riches unimaginable. And the rich young ruler, Jesus, gave it all up out of love to follow his father. And the rich young ruler, Jesus, who had laid it all down, stands before the rich young ruler that day and says, lay it all down and follow me. Jesus is not asking this man anything he hasn't already done. Lay it down and follow me out of love. Because I laid it all down out of love. And today we have two rich young rulers and we get to choose who we follow today. We can choose the rich young ruler who heard the challenge of the one thing of following God, of, of laying my life down, and he left sad because he loved his life too much or we can follow the rich young ruler who laid everything down unto death out of love for his God and people. Today I would ask Jesus, what is the one thing? Let's have an honest conversation. What is the one thing you want from me today? In Orchard, let's be bold. Let's be risk takers. Let us step and do it and follow him. 
Let us be the people he longs for us to be. Let us lay down the things that he asks us to lay down. Let us follow him with abandon. It's amazing. He says, it's almost like, listen, you put your riches down and you let me decide how rich you will be. You lay your life down and let me decide what I give you. And he is a good, good father. Do you trust him with your life enough to lay it all down before him? What would he ask? You know, as we go into communion and the band comes up, this is the symbol of Jesus' death and crucifixion, resurrection. And, and, and the, the rich young ruler had something right. He was so wrong, he was right. And he didn't even know it. Because see, he asked something that the prodigal son asked. So, so uh, how do I get the inheritance? How do I get, I want that inheritance. The rich young ruler stood before Jesus and said, how do I inherit eternal life? To get an inheritance, what has to happen? Someone has to die. An irony of ironies, he's standing before the one man on the earth to give that inheritance. You see, Jesus, the rich young ruler, gave up everything so that he could be crucified on a cross, that his body would be broken, that his blood would be shed, that we could receive an inheritance in heaven, true treasure, and be with him today. Orchard, let us respond to him with our whole hearts. If you need prayer today, if you want prayer about receiving Jesus, if this is your day of salvation, if you wanna, if you wanna talk and pray about that, please come see me or my dad or Charlie or a prayer person. If you would like prayer on this, I challenge you, come, please, find someone to pray with up front or on the sides. But Orchard, let us have this day be a day where we revisit that, that place where he says one thing, one thing, and we say yes.